Welcome to the new Tag Lead Podcast. We help you to be more confident leaders by avoiding the traps of inexperience and gain realistic perspectives unlike theoretical videos. Welcome to the new Tag Lead Podcast. I'm your host Marvin and our today's guest is Virgin from Microsoft. Welcome Virgin. Hi. So Virgin, you're a modern work architect team lead. What does that mean? So it means that I have the privilege of managing nearly 20 so-called modern work architects who help the largest German customers on board to Microsoft 365. Oh, wow, cool. How was your journey on Microsoft so far? Well, actually, today is my 15th anniversary at Microsoft. Oh, wow, congratulations. Uh, so I've been working here for, well, over half of my working life. I started out as a so-called solution specialist at Microsoft for mobile, Windows Mobile at the time. But then two years in, Apple released the iPhone, so I needed to look for something else to do at Microsoft. Uh, and I then became a so-called TSP, which is a technical salesperson for Exchange. For those of you that still know it, Office Communication Server, which later became Link and then Skype for Business. So I helped a lot of enterprise customers in the Netherlands to actually adopt Microsoft technology, first on-premises technology and later on cloud technology. And then about five years ago, I got the opportunity to move away from the Dutch subsidiary uh, into the Office 365 product group and become part of the so-called Fast Track organization. So Fast Track is actually the included benefit for our customers to help them move from their on-premises environment into Office 365 or Microsoft 365 as we now call it. And over a period of three to three and a half years, I worked with a number of customers, not just Dutch customers, but German, Swiss, Scandinavian customers, helping them move from their on-premises environment into Microsoft 365. And about two years ago, based on the success of that organization of modern work architects, we actually expanded it three to four fold. So we got a lot more people into the team. And it also meant that the model where we only had regional directors had to be built out into having area managers as well. And I then got the opportunity to apply for an area manager role. Uh, being Dutch myself, the natural opportunity would have been to start leading the Benelux team. Um, because at that time, and maybe to some extent still, German customers are lagging a bit in cloud adoption. I actually thought that it would be a nicer challenge or thing that I could have a better opportunity to grow myself and help grow the team if I became the manager of the German team and help them move the customers to Microsoft 365. So how did the process look like to actually move from an individual contributor role to a people manager role? Well, in Microsoft, you, you go through an interview process, basically. So it is not that different from applying externally into, uh, into the role. And I think the role is also opened up for external candidates because in the entire uh, INEA team, we have a few people from outside as well. So you go through a number of interviews with uh, uh, potential managers or stakeholders. And as always, of course, landing the first manager role is the most difficult piece because there's literally no experience in your resume formal experience as a manager that you can fall back on. So it is, to some extent, of course, it is a, a leap of faith for your hiring manager as well to hire a first-time manager in such a role. But to focus on the leap of faith, you had the technical expertise in your backpack and you had the experience within the Fast Track organization, Microsoft culture on board. Yeah. So the people management challenge was accepted and you got from there, right? Well, not just that. One of the, the things I really love about working at Microsoft is that in your role, even as what we call an individual contributor, so the non-manager people in the, the organization, you, have an, you always have an opportunity to lead if you want to. 
So leadership does not necessarily mean you have to be a manager. You can be a leader as well as an individual contributor. So I think the leadership that I exhibited in my individual role as a modern work architect is what led the people to believe that I could be successful as a manager as well. So um, even for those people that you know aspire to be managers as well, again, the first step is always the hardest one. I would say that the, the number one thing that you, should, that you can do in your current role is look for leadership opportunities, because that is actually what will showcase your ambition to others as well. And that will also help you build, even if it's not a formal part of your resume, it will help you build leadership potential for that first step as a manager. Wow, that's a great tip, Ferdinand. Thank you so much. So focusing on your step up to people manager in your first six months, what were the cases you didn't expect? Well, some of that is, is COVID related and, and has to do, of course, with the fact that you become a first time manager in a team that you cannot see physically. So walk us through, when did you become manager? In uh, late summer uh, 2020. So just three months after COVID started, break out and hit. Yeah, yeah. So we had to build a team. So I would say half of the team were people that had prior experience in the fast track organizations in a number of different roles. But the other half of the team were Microsoft employees, but not fast track employees at that point in time. So one of the biggest challenges that we had, but we had it across the whole world, basically, because we were scaling a team massively, not just in, in Germany, but in EMEA and also worldwide, is of course, how do you actually scale such a team of people that maybe know the technology that they have to pitch at their customers already, but they don't know the role at that moment in time. So that, that's something I could fall back on to some extent uh, uh, on all the excellent work that was done by our global readiness teams. But also, of course, it is trying to build a personal connection with new people in the team uh, through teams, basically. Were these challenges anticipated and what set you up off guard? Um, well, what you we, we are a company, of course, well, we build teams. So we have been using it uh, uh, before COVID already as well, of course. Um, and we know as an organization, I think already we were well prepared for the hybrid work revolution that basically came as part of COVID because we already did that for a long time. Uh, but not being able to have the physical connection at all anymore was of course something that we really have to start working on. So I would say that the number one thing that I learned is that you need to make the personal check-in, a much more important part of your one-to-one -one meetings with the people in your team uh, to be sure that you look out for personal and mental health in what was, of course, worldwide, but individually as well, a very challenging uh, situation. So I would say that that is the thing that, that immediately struck me is you cannot just continue as is and make it a business conversation. It needs to be a very personal conversation as well. I really appreciate to hear about the pet caring part. So for those who are not familiar with one-on-ones and how to structure them, or most of them really focus it business related, how do you actually integrate the personal part? Start with very open questions. How are you doing? Uh, it's a it's you know it's a very human way to start a conversation anyway, but make sure that it is not just you know the the typical uh, I'm doing fine. Make sure that you ask the question again if someone says, I'm fine, but if you're looking at them, even if it's on video, that you see maybe the person is not fine. So also a very, very, very important one, 
use video uh, because we at Microsoft at least sometimes have a tendency to use audio only and not video and I think using video as part of these one-on-ones is an instrumental part to making them work because that is an easier way to see how the other is doing. And then you only have a limited time where you can actually talk to the individual. Sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's 30 minutes, sometimes it's one hour. So how much time do you dedicate for that personal check-in? Um, well, that depends a bit, of course. If 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 you're well, uh, if you're start if you don't really know the person, I would say uh, uh, spend as much time as you need on the personal part. Because if you haven't built a relationship with that person yet, it's hard to build a business relation if you don't know what the person you know what what makes another person tick. Uh, it's hard to build that business conversation if you don't know how you can actually help coach someone to become better. At their job and to coach someone properly you at least need to understand a little bit how they work what their concerns are i mean i have people in the team who are over 60 and i have people in the team who are young parents but you need to understand what makes them tick at any point in time before you can actually i think talk about the business so one of the things i did learn is that you need to for instance at least have a bi-weekly one-on-one even if your team is big because with 20 people in the team that is sometimes hard and also an important thing is again uh, make the the check-in explicit don't just gloss over it if someone says they're okay make it explicit and but that's something of course that you as a manager need to decide on as well how personal you want to be in that check-in are you also going to share something about your personal life or your well-being with the other person in the call and that is one of the things that i think sometimes maybe sets potentially people apart so i'm dutch and in the netherlands we typically uh, do mingle the personal and the business stuff a little bit in the, the relationship that we have with our manager and one of the things that i had to learn is how that works with a team of germans of course and it's different of course it's different on an individual level uh, i have found that sometimes also it can be a bit different on a generational level uh, uh, so typically younger people are more open to have a personal conversation typically than older people but again it is mostly a personal thing so you can have very open older people and very close off young people but the only way you will find out what what makes people comfortable is to just have the conversation wow what did you observe besides this openness to conversations and the mix between personal topics and business related topics besides this when it comes to culture uh, well first off germany is a big country coming from a very small country myself uh, and I, i mean even in the netherlands there are differences between the north and the south the west and the east the city and the you know the, the countryside but i mean For me, uh, a two-hour drive means that I actually cross the country border. And of course, there are plenty of places in Germany where a two-hour drive will just get you to the nearest city, so to speak. So for me, I had to get used to the fact that uh, uh, there are big regional differences in, in how people, big regional cultural differences in Germany that play into some of what you need to learn. Um, but one thing that I do think is, well, Well, it's systemic but what happens across the whole country is people can complain can complain a bit sometimes and that is well something you have to get used to uh, as a foreigner operating in germany something and how do you get along with complaints and and your culture that you're rather very direct yeah yes so and don't get me wrong people in the netherlands complain as well and also very important i would say that um, typically uh, you have well in the netherlands we call them coffee machine conversations so you run into people at the coffee machine and that is a place also where you don't just talk about you know the the, the football matches over the past week but you can also vent about what is not going well at work you can vent about you know a colleague uh, your manager Uh, or a customer where you mean things are not going well 
And because all of us have been largely stuck at home for the past 18 months, I think a lot of that typical releasing some of the office pressure hasn't happened. And that means, of course, that because there's no way for you to release some of that negative energy, let's call it a friendly way, um, that I think you, you see that it, it builds up in people. Uh, and then at some point in time, it will get out. And that's something that I had to learn also as a first-time manager, is you need to leave space for people to actually just vent. Um, I think, well, in the tech industry, especially in the engineering tech industry, whenever we hear a problem, we have a tendency to want to start solving it. And I think that uh, just listening to people complain, to some extent, is actually solving it, rather than hearing someone say something that didn't go well and immediately wanting to you know help resolve the problem just let people talk about their frustrations a little bit be a listening ear to them without trying to solve the problem immediately is also something that you need to learn okay so i understand that people have different perceptions of how they come along with the corona situation and how they managed and in the office you have the opportunity to vent or talk about your feelings and and what your thought process is in front of the coffee machine or vending machine that should actually rechange to venting machine very good um <laughs> And what are the platforms you offer your team members to actually vent or, or say what's on their mind? But that, that, that's, that, well, I would say that's a, a difficult balancing act uh, because um, in a one-on-one, -on -one, of course, you can uh, uh, set boundaries yourself uh, uh, or potentially the employee sets boundaries on, an, on his manager or her manager venting too much. But if you talk about, for instance, the team meeting, so my team, we have a weekly team meeting where all of us come together and you want to have a good atmosphere in that team meeting. So if there are people in your team maybe that are complaining too much, that can negatively impact the energy in the team. Um, so you need that to be a balancing act. Uh, on the one hand, you want to give a podium to people to talk about their experiences and you don't want to, you know, um, make topics, topics off limits. But on the other hand, you don't want, you know, um, so if someone starts complaining and, you know, another one chimes in and then a third one chimes in, that still leaves 16 or 17 people in the team who might be dragged down, so to speak, by that negative energy. So you do need to figure out what the, the right balance is between letting people actually, you know, have a conversation about, you know, what, what is keeping them from being great, but also making sure that that conversation in the end, hopefully remains a positive conversation rather than a negative conversation. So in, in conversations, there's always an up or down, very exciting or not so exciting, not so much. Um, so how do you actually get from these venting scenarios, which are rather referred maybe to other people, a downer, to actually going to upper situations again? To some extent, I would say it depends on the seniority of the person. So if you are a senior person in my team, I have a different expectation of you than if you are a junior person in my team. From senior people, I expect that they take the team along, uh, that they are, you know, the example for others in the team, and that if they do run into a problem, that they actually, you know, are also part of the solution. Um, so if you are a, a senior or what we call a principal modern work architect in the team, I expect these people to not just bring a problem to the table, but also to be, you know, to bring the solutioning to the table as well. And I think that if you are younger in career, there is a different expectation. You do not 
potentially have the well the maturity to start immediately thinking about how do I make things better as well. So that factors into how you handle these conversations in a team. What I always try to do is, you know, not call someone out in front of the team. And of course, we have the opportunity to have a side chat in teams. So if I find, for instance, that someone is going off in the wrong direction in a teams meeting, what I try to do is I try to coach them out of sight of the others before, you know, raising my hand and saying, look, let's put a stop to this. And let's move on to the next topic, because I think, you know, putting someone in his or her place in front of the entire team is typically not something that leads to a happy situation. That's a great advice, because I'm figuring out in a normal meeting room where 20 people uh, meet at the same table, you can maybe wave, have a look, make any significant sign that there's something which is probably troublesome. But in a Teams meeting where everyone looks into the camera, it's probably not a gesture you can you can yeah. do and actually anticipate or make people aware that it's only reserved for them, right? Yeah. So the chat opportunity is a great way yeah, to so settle it at hoc. Yeah, basically what you're replacing, of course, is in-person, in-room in chemistry, let's call it that. So if you are in a room with someone, uh, um, uh, you know, your body language already... Uh, tells the other person quite a lot about uh, what needs to happen. You have, you know, hand gestures to nudge someone along. I mean, it's hard, of course, we're to do this in a podcast, but there are gestures that you can use to move people along, so to speak, uh, if you are in a physically in the same room without raising your voice. And that is something that we all have to learn in the hybrid world if we're not in front of each other, only digitally in front of each other. That's really, really insightful. I would like to get back to the different roles you're having in your team. You said rather junior roles, rather a senior and then principal. Can you run us through the engineering levels in your team and how does that work for Microsoft? The, the roles in the team basically are the same. So everyone is an MWA, uh, but the maturity level, of course, is different. And, of, and also the technical skills level are different across the team. But we do look, uh, within Microsoft at least, in the engineering organization that I'm a part of, we do look at people at the different maturity levels uh, where, you know, you start off, as in my case, as a program manager and you can become a senior or a principal program manager as well. The expectation really is about the impact that you have. So everyone in my team, for instance, should be able to help our customers move to Microsoft 365, be the orchestrator of the onboarding uh, effort, help the customer figure out, you know, what the best way is to move from A to B in their cloud journey. That is just the groundwork that everyone needs to have. But if you look at maturity levels, of course, there are customers of different sizes. You know, in the German market, we have organizations with a few thousand employees and we have organizations with hundreds of thousands of employees. And even though the technical challenge might to some extent be the same, the political challenge, of course, is quite different as the, if the organization size grows. You might have to work with different partners at the customer. They might have an outsourcer working with them, etc. And building out your expertise not just on the technical level, but for instance, on the governance level as well, is how you build maturity in the modern work architect role in my team. Uh, and that's what we recognize as well with the different, you know, going from program manager to senior to principal is where we recognize some of that, well, 
business acumen. That's one thing. And the second thing is, of course, we expect people that are more senior to take the more junior people along. You're expected to be a coach to the junior people joining the team. Or if a new person from outside of Microsoft joins the team or from a different part of the Microsoft organization joins the team, I expect the more senior people to raise their hand when I ask them, is there anyone wanting to help this person, you know, start working in the team? But also there's an expectation that, for instance, as you grow, that you take on champ roles within the area. So so uh, a champ can be helping customers uh, deploy Windows 11, upgrade from Windows 10 to Windows 11, be a champ in the team and help others that have questions on the, the Windows 11 deployment. But as you grow further, we are even looking to have that impact, not just, for instance, in the German market, but in the European market or even in the worldwide market. So as you grow in the team, your impact should grow with you. And that impact can be coaching, but that impact can also be helping uh, improve our products or that impact can be being a worldwide go-to person in our worldwide team, which is a several hundred people. So you're recognized. So yeah, different levels of maturity, different levels of impact you can have. And besides your standard role, there's also stretch goals, for example, coaching other individuals with higher maturity of individuals and then expertise roles where people are more technical. Is there anything, what is your perspective on such a diverse team? Because 20 people is a lot of people and then you have different maturity levels of them and a different country and a different culture comes along. So how do you meet? Because normally in, in probably a typical day job, you, you meet your boss before COVID probably every day in the office. Now in COVID probably once a month, but now with geographical distance, how does it work? Yeah, so that, that's well, one of the things that sets, uh, uh, again, the Netherlands and Germany apart. So in the Netherlands, Microsoft only has one office, so that makes it relatively easy to run into your boss. Because if you go to the office, there's a good chance that you will meet him or her in the local office. Of course, Germany has always been different from that point of view, because there are offices in, in Munich, Hamburg, uh, Berlin, Stuttgart, Cologne. So for instance, if I would have lived in Cologne, uh, I have people in the team in Hamburg and other places, I still wouldn't run into them on a daily basis. So I think the understanding in Germany is already much more around the fact that you will not meet your manager face to face on a weekly or even potentially a monthly basis. So I think that that's different already. So this is at Microsoft general that yeah. you don't meet your manager on a on a daily or weekly basis because you even in the German Microsoft community, you could have a manager living in Hamburg where you live in a different city. Yeah. So, and honestly, if you live in Hamburg and your manager lives in Cologne, that's a five hour drive. I know this because I did it yesterday. So I, being from Utrecht in the Netherlands, only I am two and a half hours away from Cologne. So yes, there is a, it, it is hard sometimes to make, you know, that physical connection with people. Um, but in a neighbor, it, it would be more difficult if I, for instance, I'd lived in the UK, because then of course, travel to Germany is a lot more complicated. But from the Netherlands so far, I think, we're doing okay. Uh, but the, the, figuring out, you know, what that physical connection will be in the you know, post-COVID hybrid world is some of the things that all of us will have to figure out. Not just me, not just Microsoft, but the entire, you know, professional world will have to figure that out. Yeah, that's true. These are wise words. Now, looking at your team, 
which is located in Germany, it's still quite easy to get hold of them. Now I'm thinking of your manager and the manager of, of your manager. So where are they located? Are they also in Europe? Uh, my manager is also in Europe. So he lives in Switzerland, even though he's, uh, he's British. But his manager, so we call that the skip level manager, lives over in, uh, I think, Texas in the US. We recently hired a new person in that role. Uh, but he lives in the US of that, I'm sure. And the rest of our leadership organization is all US based. So I used to actually see my manager, I would say every quarter at least, but that was based on the fact that one of my customers was in Zurich as well. So if I visited my customer, which I would do at least every quarter, uh, I would also see my manager. Um, but it, there was no typical travel just to see your manager, it will be off the back of a customer meeting anyway. So, uh, but before that, I had a manager in the, in the Dutch office who I would see on a, well, uh, at least a weekly basis, uh, just running into her in the office. And how do you feel? What are the differences? What is, what is nice about it? And what is actually a big challenge for you? Well, th th that's hard to answer because I don't know the pre-COVID world from a manager point of view, of course. So oh, yeah, is, that's it correct. Is, it, is, it, it is a bit hard to make that comparison. Um, but, well, I think, and I think that goes for all of us, uh, as we hopefully get out of the situation that we find ourselves currently, I think we are all craving the human touch again, whether it's a, you know, a fist bump or an actual handshake or whatever. It is an important part of being human. So we all crave being in the same room together, having lunch together, you know, uh, having something to drink after work as an example. So I am really, really, really looking forward to getting some of that. And also very importantly for me, we're having this conversation in English now, but the only way for me to actually start improving my German again is to be in country and hear the language all around me on the street being forced, you know, at the bakery to actually order my uh, Brötchen in, in, uh, in German rather than speaking English all day. So for me also, and for me to I, well, I actually made that commitment to the team to speak German after a year because I never got to travel to Germany in the first year. I failed miserably on that part. So another perk you, you brought along was actually speaking German. So besides the, the, all the challenges, the geolocation, the culture and the COVID situation, uh, you are able to speak their language. So I think that is an amazing benefactor and makes it easier for the team to connect. Yeah, so, so and, well, um, uh, Microsoft, of course, is an American company and a very international company. So I would say that, that English really is the language of the company. So any meeting that we have that is outside of the German team meeting is immediately always in English. But we also need to recognize, of course, that English is not the native tongue of well, anyone in my team. And it's not the native tongue of anyone in the German team besides the English in the team, of course. So that's something that is really important. And also um, the fact that in-person meetings are easier if you know if you don't speak the language yourself uh, as your mother tongue it is easier to be in the room with someone because you know body language and others helps helps you understand what you're saying so we need to be very careful when we do teams meetings that we acknowledge that not everyone is as comfortable speaking that language and that is a barrier to a lot of people and you might even wrongly have the assumption for instance that someone is you know, not up to speed or not really at the level that you expect them to be. And they are, but they're just struggling getting it across to you because they're not native speakers of English. I love that you bring that concept of managing forward because I feel it's, it's oftentimes neglected or doesn't give enough respect uh, about confidence languages, culture, all these different mixes. So we covered today a lot of topics starting out with your very international role. 
and the massive team you are having in a different country, different culture. We jumped on the different aspects of a meeting that you also can jump in with in emotional and, and individual personal topics in a one-on-one -on -one or even in a team meeting. Give space to venting or emotional spikes, so to speak. Balance that out in a team meeting and in an individual conversation. And then moved on to cultural differences, how to move on with geographical distance um, and other aspects of a inclusive and very diverse team. So all in all, if people are interested to get in touch with you and learn more, uh, is it okay to reach out on LinkedIn or what is the right platform to yeah. do so? No, reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, so Ferjan Ormeling, watch out that you don't reach out to my dad because he has the exact same name. But if you see a Ferjan Ormeling working at Microsoft, I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today, Ferjan, and thanks for joining. Thanks for the opportunity.